0: This is Tanakhcast. Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 133. We'll begin with a brief summary of Hosea chapters 4 through 7 and follow with some thoughts about prophets and ritualized insults. Now hear this. People of Israel, you have behaved badly. Quote, false swearing, dishonesty, and murder, and theft, and adultery are rife. Crime follows upon crime. Oh, and yeah, idolatry. Don't forget the idolatry. That's a classic. And now, you're going to pay. And of course, some of you might find yourselves feeling, you know, a little contrite. Quote, come, let us turn back to the Lord. He attacked, and he can heal us. He wounded, and he can bind us up. In two days, he will make us whole again. On the third day, he will raise us up. And we shall be whole by his favor. Let us pursue obedience to the Lord, and we shall become obedient. His appearance is as sure as daybreak, and he will come to us like rain, like latter rain that refreshes the earth. Yeah, well, no, that's not going to happen. Quote, For I desire goodness, not sacrifice, obedience to God rather than burnt offerings. Oh, damn! Well, that's a little salty. But on the scale of surprising things to say by a prophet, it's really not that surprising at all. Now hear this. You're all villains. Quote, The gang of priests is like an ambuscade of bandits who murder on the road to Shechem, for they have encouraged depravity. Do you hear that? You ambuscade of bandits. I had to look that one up in the dictionary, actually. Here's another one. Quote, Ephraim is among the peoples. He is rotting away. Ephraim is like a cake incapable of turning oh! Oh 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 like a cake but hoshea rolls on Quote, "strangers have consumed his strength but he has taken no notice also mold is scattered over him but he has taken no notice oh! Did you hear that? Like, ate him up, and he's all, like, moldy. Gosh, that that's so... Oh, I can't. I can't even. Anyway, the people of the north, Ephraim, they'll turn to Egypt to get Egypt to help them against Assyria. Well, strike three. Quote, they have been of no use like a slack bow. Their officers shall fall by the sword because of the stammerings of their tongues. Such shall be the results of their jabbering in the land of Egypt. And on that salty note... Here endeth the lesson. We've had many instances where the prophets have railed against princes, priests, and the people. You know, generally, like in general terms and very specifically. They'd make these pronouncements and sometimes, you know, they'd deliver the barbs directly The best example of this was Eliyahu, who faced down kings and idolaters. Yes, that Eliyahu, Elijah the prophet, the kind, avuncular, Santa-type figure who's supposed to come and visit at the end of the Pesach Seder. He's not a nice man. He's like a total murdering badass. He challenges the prophets of Baal and Mount Carmel to a god-off, and when they call to their gods and their gods don't answer, he trash talks them, like mercilessly. Quote, shout louder. After all, he is a god, but he may be in conversation, he may be detained, or he may be on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and will wake up. Oh! If you recall, Eliyahu wins that contest and as part of his victory lap, he murders his opponents with his bare hands. This same Eliahu, when King Ahav lays eyes on him and calls him, quote, the Troubler of Israel. Eliyahu claps back, quote, it is not I who have brought trouble on Israel, but you and your father's house by forsaking the commandments of the Lord and going after the Baalim. Well, actually, that wasn't such a good comeback. But, you know, the Tanakh is not above roasting those that need roasting. I highlighted the only instance of a biblical Yomama dis last week in a different context, but damn, it's worth mentioning again. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 22, quote, When Yehoram saw Yehu, he asked, Is all well, Yehu? But Yehu replied, How can all be well, as long as your mother, Izevel, carries on her countless harlotries and sorceries. Oh! The Omama dis, I think, reached its pinnacle in 2015 when Brian Cranston was doing a Q&A at a Nerd Machine panel during Comic-Con where he was repping his new show, Supermansion, but a fan wanted him to talk a little bit about Breaking Bad. Let's have a listen. Yeah, uh, my question is, because I grew up in Albuquerque, What was there any cool places, anything that you liked being there? Like, how, how was it? Because it's my hometown. So I want to know, how'd you like it? Well, did you have fun there? Yeah, I'd go and visit your mother once in a while. Did you hear the mic drop there at the end? Damn. Ritualized insults have (laughs) have a long history and an important social function. William Labov, an American linguist, looked into ritualized insults and distilled a list of rules from what is arguably a small sample, but nonetheless funny as hell. In other words, your mileage may vary, but those miles, well... Oh, here goes. The yo mama joke normally takes five forms. Number one, yo mama is, comparing yo mama to something old, ugly, or bizarre. Number two, yo mama got, indicating that yo mama has something broken down or lame. Number three, yo mama so blank, she blank, makes a complex comparison with a quantifier. Number four, yo mama eat, which is pretty self-explanatory. Number five, yo mama raised you, strikes out both at yo mama and the opponent in one barb. The sixth formula, I went to your house, strikes out at yo mama and the opponent specifically targeting their collective state of poverty. The thing is, these verbal attacks are ritualized, so you're not actually dissing the opponent's mama specifically. You're just attacking like this kind of stylized mama, the the idealized platonic mama, everyone's mama, no one's mama. So you can marvel at the wordplay, at the clever imagery, at the absurdity of the scenario. What Labov observed in his study in the early 70s is the most popular form of roasting these days. It's known as the dozens, and if the insults get kind of rated R, you know, sexually inappropriate, they become what's called the dirty dozens. Matt Fiedler hosts a wonderful podcast called Very Bad Words about swearing and taboo language, and he does a thorough and deep dive into yo mama jokes and the dirty dozens, you should definitely give it a listen and subscribe to his amazing podcast. I'll put a link to it uh, at thenextjew.com. So here's a dirty one or two from a dirty dozen. This might be a good time to pop in those earbuds and also note the style of the insult and how they remain true to form. That's why your house so small. If you drop a washcloth, you'd have wall to wall carpeting. Ooh. That's some shit. That was alright, though. Talking shit with y'all little itty-bitty teeny-weeny-ass house. Nigga, house little as shit. Nigga, your house so small to welcome mat. Just say, well, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> So where was I? Uh, right, the Dirty Dozens. I'm sure you're wondering what I mean by most popular form and in these days. When most folks think of Dirty Dozen these days, they think of the 1967 movie starring Lee Marvin and Charles Bronson. Major Rising. You are ordered by Allied Command to select 12 general prisoners convicted by courts martial and sentenced to be executed or serve lengthy prison terms for murder, rape, robbery, and other crimes of violence, and you will deliver them secretly behind enemy lines in France to undertake a mission of sabotage that could change the course of the war. Sorry to cut that short, It just that those previews take so long, gosh, you know. They were just so different back in the day. Anyway, the Dozens is the bedrock upon which rap and hip-hop were built. In the early days of rap, MCs would battle, verbally attacking each other until one MC emerged victorious. Today, this might manifest in one rapper dropping some bars in a track that disses another rapper or releasing a complete diss track which is solely dedicated to disrespecting the rival. Now, the diss track which I discovered, much to my surprise, has a very long history. In fact, some would say that the earliest example was Tchaikovsky's 1812 overture, which was written in 1880 to commemorate Russia's defeat of Napoleon's invading armies. The use of the cannons in the climax of the piece is not only the first time weapons were used as an instrument in a musical composition, but also a straight-up diss of the French, whose own artillery was used against them while they retreated. KRS-1's The Bridge Is Over is the archetypal diss track. It was the final blow in a battle between KRS-1 and his Bronx-born Boogie Down Productions and MC Shan and the Queens-based Juice Crew. Juice Crew had released a track called The Bridge in 1985, claiming that Queensbridge was the birthplace of hip-hop. Uh, the dude minds. This will not stand, you know? This aggression will not stand, man. So KRS-One responded with a track called South Bronx, which claimed, So you think that hip-hop had this start out in Queensbridge? If you pop that junk up in the Bronx, you might not live. Cause you're in South, South Bronx, South South Bronx. It, South- so naturally, MC Shan replied with Kill That Noise. And then KRS-One replied with The Bridge Is Over. Saying hip-hop started out in Queensbridge, uh, saying like- And with that, MC Shan's career was over. Hoshea dropped some major disses in this episode, but though he sounds like he's roasting, he's not engaging in a duel of ritualized insults. He's not looking for the Jews to clap back. That's not the point here. Rituals are abstractions of the real. They are arguably a sanctuary from the real. In ritual, we are freed from personal responsibility for the acts that we engage in. Roasting, sounding, woofing, signifying, dissing, in the dozens format, they're meant to depersonalize the situation, and often it succeeds in removing the dangers of a face-to-face confrontation and the defiance of authority in the hip-hop world. Not so much, though. You know, I'm thinking of Tupac and Biggie's legendary beef that ended up with both of them being murdered within six months of each other, and their murders have yet to be solved. Hoshea is not trying to abstract the real. He's not trying to diss some platonic mama or flee into a safe space. He's not trying to escape personal responsibility in the least. His signifying... Is meant to highlight the real, to take shots that land hard because the Jews are behaving badly and it will result in their ruin. So perhaps a warning that cuts deep might result in a change of behavior that can avert disaster. Rage is one tool of the prophets, but it, as we have seen, is not the most effective. The Jews, as we all know, are a stiff necked people. What are you going to do? However, Though it didn't change behaviors, Hosea enriches the vocabulary and for us post-destruction readers, untouched by the Assyrians or God's rage, we can add some literary disses to our repertoire like these. Yo mama so stupid, she acted like a silly dove with no mind. Yo mama so fat, she like a cake incapable of turning. Yo mama so clueless, she eats a cake covered with mold and can't tell the difference. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for Tanakhcast and pledge your Shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that, and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for... Episode 134, when we continue in the Book of Hosea with chapters 8 through 11.